Thanks very much. It's, it's really a privilege to, to share the word. I'm, I'm always excited just to see how, you know, God loves his church so much that whosoever would stick up their hand and say, okay, I'll, Lord, I'll go. You, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how well you think you can hear God's voice. God, God will speak to you loud enough so that you can hear. It, it's, you know, it's like those, um, those old foxy motor cars that you really have to slam the door to get it shut. Some of us are, are like German sedans. You can just like gently close the door and it works. And others, you know, you have to slam the door for it to work. And, and, and God like works with us the same, I've found. You know, if he has to speak to us a little bit louder in order for us to hear, as, as long as we are willing, God is, God is always even more willing to, to engage with his, with his people and to bless his people. And um, let me just open for us in prayer. And then what I'm wanting to do is, is just take... I want to take a bit of time and, and actually just you know, I'll tell you a little bit about myself, who I am, where I come from, so, so that you can also contextualize um, the things that I'm, that I'm showing up on the screen and the things that I'm trying to get across. So let's just, let's just open in prayer quickly. Father God, we just, we just thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness, God. Thank you for your kindness, Lord. And, and you say in your word that it's your goodness that leads us to repentance, God. God, and I thank you, Lord, for each one sitting here that has that's had an encounter with your goodness, Father, and for the fruits of repentance, Lord, that is, that is showing, God. And I, and I thank you for each one, Lord, sitting here, Lord, that, God, that has that encounter, Lord, scheduled with, with you, God. You've, you've placed it on their path, God. And I thank you that it will, that it will come to bear, Lord, in Jesus' name. I, I just want to give you this time, Lord. I want to give you the words, Lord, that, that are on my heart and, and everything that I say, Lord, and I invite you, Holy Spirit, to really just take, take the message, make it come alive to each one of us, God. In Jesus' name, Lord, we choose to not lean on the arm of our flesh and our understanding, Lord, but we, we, we invite you now, Holy Spirit, to come and be our teacher, Lord, the one that teaches us all things and leads us into all truth, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you, that you open our ears and our eyes, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be talking a little bit around, around a, a topic which may or may not sort of have surfaced in, in the consciousness of, of a lot of people, whether, whether in or outside of the church. And I just want to open by reading a scripture in Matthew 16, verse 3, where Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and, he, and he's, saying, he's talking to them about how they know how to look at the weather and, and figure out what's going on. So you say, and in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Obviously, I'm starting in the middle of a sentence here. And then he says, hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. And, and so out of that, we, I think we, we intuitively conclude that, that Jesus actually wants us to be able to discern the signs of the times. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know if you saw my, my nice little picture there about, about the red moon and like an angel with the with a trumpet, there, there we go. And and, I, and I'm wanting us to just to just have a look at a, at a couple of these things, and 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 find out where where does this all fit in our, in our walk with God and our relationship with the Bible. But as I said before, we get there. I want, I want to I want to just firstly get it off my chest that, that I was born and, and raised in Stutterheim. <laughs> Thank you. We, we have some visitors from Stadtraum, so well done for not laughing too loud. <laughs> and 
Yeah, I, I, I grew up in, in, a, in a, a very sort of, I think, so, call it average cross-sectional Af- Afrikaans home. You know, very faithfully going to church, the, the Dutch Reformed Church, very faithfully being, being taught the principles and the things of God and the Bible stories and all of those things. And, and for me, to a large extent, um, I, I find myself being, being very serious about God and about Christianity at certain times. In, in particular on Sundays, you know, when, when it was important, that's when it was important. But when school was important, then, it was in, then academics was important, which was exams only. And, and, and the rest of the time, sport was important. So that's kind of how I approached my life. And, and from there, I went, to, I went to Stellenbosch to study. And so all of a sudden, I was, I was removed from, from, a, from my comfort zone, the environment that I knew. And it was really a culture shock to go to Stellenbosch and see that it's okay to be Afrikaans. Because, you know, grow, growing up in the Eastern Cape, I, I, I didn't get that impression. It, and uh, so, so I arrived in, in Stellenbosch as a, as a first-year engineering student. And, um, and it, it was interesting how, it, you know, Im- immediately as we started our studies, there seemed to be a lot of the engineering students that kind of gravitated towards towards adopting faith in God. And, and, and I sort of developed this theory that it must be because the, the engineering maths was really, really difficult. <laughs> and, and, it's, and, and, and not only that, it's, I mean, Shane can probably attest to that. And uh, not, not only that, but, but the stakes were high. If you failed engineering maths in June, it meant that you weren't allowed to come back for the rest of the year. So, so it was quite a, you know, the, the, the pressure was on. And and so, and so we, we'd sit in these lectures, and, and, and it was all it was all about calculus. I, I, know, I know a lot of you won't be interested at all, or some people don't even find engineering jokes funny. I, I've tried to find one funny one there. That's um, <laughs> you know just just to give you a bit of an insight into our psyche as as engineers. So so there was this this crowd of us. You know, battling to um, to come to terms with with with, with calculus, and and what, what it basically is, and, and where it comes from is, um, somebody once asked Isaac Newton, why does he think the planets seem to seem to revolve on an elliptical path, and and he said, well, I'm I'm not sure. I will have to get back to you, and and he he'd already discovered a couple of the the laws of motion. So in order to answer that question, sort of in his spare time, he had to invent calculus. Um, so he did that, invented calculus, you know, derived all the equations, and came back and explained to the guy, okay, this is, this is why these, these things happen. And after that, soon after that, he turned 26. And, and so for generations after that, you know, pe- people go to university and, and, and sweat about just studying to understand the stuff that he invented before he turned 26. But, but what calculus is, it, it's basically a language that, that gets used to describe the behavior of, of stuff. And, and as soon as you know sort of the laws that are, that are at play, you, you can sort of, you start to feel actually quite, you know, quite, quite powerful because now you can predict if, uh, if this thing gets dropped out of an airplane over here, you know exactly where it's going to fall because you can, you can calculate it because you know all of the laws and you know all of the, all of the equations that, that govern it. And so what, what happened soon after, soon after that 
Edmund Halley was, was able to use this new sort of language of mathematics to, to determine that, that, that a comet that he'd read about um, at, at sort of different stages through history is not diff- or, or, or different appearances. It's not, it wasn't different comets. It was actually the same comet. It was, it was Halley's comet. And so, so he figured out it's the same one. It's traveling on an elliptical um, course. And so he predicted when it would reappear. And, and lo and behold, as he predicted, the thing reappeared. And if you, if you were to watch documentaries, for example, on, on the Discovery Channel or National Geographic and so forth, the, the scientific community, the, they, you know, they really take pride in the fact that those type of discoveries by Isaac Newton and Edmund Halley, they serve to set mankind free from useless superstitions such as religion. And, uh, and, and what, I, what I actually want to hold before you today is that if, if your relationship with God is superstitious, then, then, then maybe you do need to be set free and maybe, maybe, it, is, maybe it is useless. Because there's a big difference between superstition and actually knowing God. Superstition basically says that, that things happen and you've got no idea why um, and you can't explain why, but when they happen, you must just make sure that you're on the right side you know, of this imaginary line. So if you spill the salt, now you must do that. Nobody can tell you why, but everybody's too scared to not do it. For, for example, and, and many of us... Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm not wanting to, not wanting to make anybody feel feel bad about it if that's the case. But I think it just creeps in, and it's something that that we all have to be have to be sort of you know honest about from time to time, and that, that we have to take stock. Sometimes we relate to God like that. Some, something happened, and, and we just assume, okay, I don't actually understand what's going on, but um, I'm just going to um, say this prayer because I've heard other people do it and then uh, try to make sure that I stand on the right side of, the ima- of this imaginary line. And that's, that's so far away from what God actually wants for us. Um, in, in contrast to religion, knowing God is actually where, where Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, because a servant does not know what his master is doing. So, so I want to contrast superstition against sonship. Where, where, where God actually wants us to he wants us to know what's going on and he wants us to understand what's happening so it's sort of thinking along those lines that, that, I've, that I've arrived at, at at this topic of okay so I think, it's, I think it's clear that God wants us to understand what's going on and, and he's not trying to be vague about it and the Bible does talk about there being signs of the times and he, he did make it clear to the Pharisees that he's a bit disappointed that they can understand natural signs, natural cause and effect, but they don't see it as it sort of pertains to, to the spirit. So, so one of the questions that I, that I want to ask, actually, and, and, and sort of try answer today is, is what, what priority should this aspect of our faith enjoy? Is it... Uh, you know, is, is it is it a, a really important thing, and should we distance ourselves from everybody else that doesn't quite view it the same as we do? Is it is it a, is it a naught point one on the scale of one to, of, of zero to ten? Where where should we place this in, in terms of priority? And and I, I think in 
in order for us to try and do that, we, I think we need to just fi- find out why. Why does God actually want us to, to understand these things? I just want to do a quick check. I, I tend to preach my sermons completely independently of what I put on my PowerPoint slide, so sometimes I, I, need, I need to just check that. But the, the reason... The reasons that I can sort of see in Scripture as to why, why God actually wants us to, to be aware of certain signs are mainly, mainly twofold. Uh, just go to, you see, here we go. You're going to have to go forward and come back to this one. Uh, there we go. It's, it's, it's reassurance and, and encouragement. If, if we look at those two Scriptures, Matthew 24, I remember in the Afrikaans Bible that, Sort of the little toppings there, always of the headings, <laughs> always said. The prophet is a reader, and then and then and then some. The the rest rest of the rest of the heading, and I just I, I found all of those all of the pieces below the prophet is a reader very scary. So I thought the prophetic must be a very scary thing, but but anyway, so this is part of that. And so Jesus is basically saying, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. And, and similarly in Luke chapter 21, he's describing things that, that as the believers walk the road of faith, that they're going to see certain things, and he actually wants them to recognize it. And again, look, look up and lift up your heads. Take, take courage. Put a, put a spring in your step. So... So I'm wanting to propose to you that Scripture does contain these things, and it's for the and, and God actually wants us to be aware of it. It's for the purpose of encouragement, to ensure that 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 fear and panic and pandemonium doesn't doesn't ensue. And you can immediately start to see how it's sort of very contradictory to what what sort of happens in the mainstream media when uh, you know people start buying up all the canned food because they they you know that. They get the impression and they're getting told that something terrible is going to happen. The reason that Jesus wants us to discern the signs is because he wants us to not be afraid. And, and it's something that was so in my heart, even as we were worshipping again, we were singing that song, We Will Not Be Shaken. I just so felt God's Spirit saying that that is my heart for my church and for my people, that we would not be afraid, that we would not be shaken, that we would not pull away from the, from the course that he has asked us to, to walk. Um, because that, that, is, that is the real danger. And, and I think Andres, over the last year, spent, spent a lot of time also just, just talking about how basically the only way that the enemy can keep us from possessing our, our inheritance, our promised land, walking the road that God has destined for us is, is if he can intimidate us and if, if he can put so much fear in our heart that we walk away. He can't make us walk away any, in, in any other way. It's, it's only if we become fearful and we back off that that, that can happen. So, so Jesus, he was, um, I think, re- really consciously trying to get the message across. There are certain things that you're going to see, and when you recognize it, I want you to take courage. I, don't, I want you, I want you to, to be reassured. It's, it's, not a, it's not a fearful thing. So... Maybe just to um, to lighten the mood a bit. I, 
in, my, in the first 24 years of my life, I played, I played a, many a rugby game. And, and during, during school, school sort of fitness was never really, really an issue. Um, it wasn't uncommon to play two rugby games in, in one day, but especially after that, going to, to varsity now, now you're not playing 30 minutes a half, now it's 40 minutes a half, and you're not practicing as much and you're getting older. And, and it, it, didn't, it wasn't uncommon, especially towards the end of varsity, to, to hear like somebody, either from your team or the opposition team, sort of on, down on their knees like that. <laughs> and uh, I stopped playing rugby when I did that once and the ref said there's five minutes left in the first half. And <laughs> And, but it's sort of, it's, it's, it can feel very important for us to be able to contextualize our, our position, not, not only where, where we are physically, but also in terms of a, of, of a, of a, of a time scale. So, and, and I think that's where, that's where the, the whole study of, of these signs of the times can, can easily go wrong. I, I want to I wanna throw a question out there. What is, what is the word of God to you primarily? Would you, would you say, and I, I don't want you to raise your hands, but can you, can you would you identify with the Word of God as a, as a bit of a roadmap of sorts? Um, like I said, I don't, I don't want you to raise your hands because it's a it's a it's a trick question, and and I want you to sort of just you know just just laugh on the inside if if if, if it did catch you out, but but. I believe a, a lot of a lot of problems arise from us trying to approach the Word of God like it's a roadmap. Because if, if you've ever walked into a strange mall in a in a or a big mall in a in a strange new town, and you go stand at the info desk, and you and you look at the map, what's what's the first thing that you that you that you try to find? Where where am I now? If I don't know where I am, then the map is useless. So. If, if, we, if we approach the Word of God as if it's a map, we study it and we try to find out where am I now? Am I, am I before the tribulation or after the tribulation? Has the rapture happened? Is it still going to happen? Um, where's the beast and who's the Antichrist? And, and, and you sort of you feel like you need to figure all of those things out before you can apply any of it. And and I think it, I think it, it'll, it feels like a bombshell, but but what the Word of God says about itself, it, it's not a map. It's a it's a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. So if you you picture picture yourself on on the journey, the the word that book is 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 the lamp for your feet. In other words, it's short term guidance and it's a light for your path. So it's long term guidance as well, and it's not a map that we are meant to study. And strategize around the leading actually comes from let's let's call it GPS because God God actually wants His Spirit to lead us. He wants us to be to be listening to Him. And then there's a beautiful scripture in Psalms 32 verse 8 where He says, "I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye." And and it just speaks of of intimately knowing knowing God and. Uh, and, and having having that sort of open line of communication, so um, you see, you think it you think it's going well, but I've completely lost my place in my notes here. So you're just going to have to give me a second. 
So, so where, where I actually want to go with this is, is to say, yes, the Bible does talk about us. We need having to be able to discern the times. But if we, if we make the mistake of, of approaching the Word of God like it's a map and all of a sudden our priority becomes answering the question, where am I now, before we apply anything, we actually end up majoring on the minors. Because if you look at what the Bible says about things like the, the rapture and you know, the tribulation and the beast and the antichrist and those things. Yes, it's, it's all in there, but we, we need to be guided by how much emphasis does God actually place on this. What are the things that God actually repeats over and over in the Bible again? Let's major on the majors and not, and not on the minors. So like I say, it's, it's definitely not a zero on the scale of, of zero to ten, but it's important for us to approach that study in the right context. And the, and the only correct context, as, as far as I can tell, is where you're using the word as a, as a light for your feet and, a, and, and for your path, and you're faithfully walking one step, putting one foot ahead of the other. As you walk, you're going to see certain things around you, and, and God wants you to recognize some of those things. And, and it's sort of out of that context that I, that I think we can, we can look at these things. So I'm just wanting to, to emphasize again just the, just the issue of where, where the rubber really meets the road. When it, when it comes to our Christian walk, what is, what is it all about? Because you, you kind of get the impression that for a lot, a lot of people who want to make prophetic you know, predictions about something big is going to happen and, and those things, you kind of get the impression that the, that the heart and the reason behind it is because they, they, they want to be found correct so that it legitimizes them and their, and their ministry and, and, and their message. And, you know, Jesus made it so clear that, that the, things, the things of the kingdom of God, he actually hid away from the people who think they're clever. And he, and he made it easy for infants and babes to, uh, you know, to discover. So... Where the rubber hits the road. If um, so, in other words, these are the things that need to be the focus. Even if we're going to be talking about these things, we'd, it needs to it needs to contribute to to the core things of the Bible and of the kingdom of God. If 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 those things become core matters, then I then I'd say you've got a problem because you're gonna you're gonna end up, you know wanting to disassociate and distance yourself from people who don't agree with you and, and, and it was never God's plan for us to major on the minors like that. I want to I take us to a scripture in 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4. Paul is writing, and he says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, so I want you to, I want you to think about this scripture just for a little while this is, this is God and his desire is for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth so, so God, is a, God is a king, he's sovereign he's basically un- untouchable so just for a moment imagine let's, let's turn it up and upside down a little bit imagine that you get a message in the post and it says the king of your country desires he wants you dead and, and the king is not accountable to any court of law. He's untouchable. I'm going to sort of suggest to you that I think you're as good as dead. 
because what the king desires he's gonna it's gonna happen and but yeah we have the king of the universe the, the creator of, of heaven and earth his desire is for all men to come to the knowledge of the truth that is that is what he's focused on every everything about his heart is, is focused on that. that that's why when we get saved if, if the reason for us mainly getting the main reason for us getting saved was just to go to heaven we would get saved and then get raptured straight to heaven before we can mess it up that's I don't know, that's engineering logic maybe, but, but, but the reason that we don't go straight to heaven when we are saved is because God's heart is for everybody else on earth as well to get saved. So whether it's a Jew or Gentile, it makes no difference. It's God desires all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. And, and, and that, is where the, that is where the rubber hits the road. So if, you know, if, if any peripheral aspect of Scripture that, that we discover and that we study contributes and assists us in being more effective in in doing what our, what our main commission is then great but if it's but if, but if it, but if it's being a distraction and is detracting from from the effectiveness of our main commission then then I would say don't you know don't don't, don't waste your time with that it's obviously it's obviously not what God is in plan for, has planned for us so so if, if your head is in this space where you understand, okay, the Great Commission says God wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth and he's reached me, I'm now saved by grace through faith and the church of Jesus Christ is, is now meant to go into all the nations and make disciples of the people and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and to cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers. Uh, those are the things that, that God has actually, actually told us to do. So if our head is in that space and, and, and we're faithfully wanting to put one foot ahead of the other, using God's word as a, as a lamp for our feet and a light for our path, it's out of that context that we can now begin to look at things around us. And, you know, we, we, can, we can try to understand what we see. And if, if we don't understand, don't... Don't stress about it too much, but if we do understand, you'll know you understand correctly if, if, it's, if, you, if you look at it and you take courage. If you look at it and, and you are reassured. Um, so, I've now spent all of this time basically trying to, trying to tell you that it's, um, all of these things are questions and I think it's pointless to really try and answer it if, we, if we're not actually answering it from, from the correct Context. It shouldn't be a theoretical. It shouldn't be a theoretical exercise. It shouldn't be a theoretical study. It should be something out of that faithful walk with with Christ. But I'm 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 going to I'm going to just for the fun of it give give it a stab. I've, I've set up an interview with myself, um, which the uh, PowerPoint will will conduct. So. Dion, what do you make of the recent blood moons and, and such occurrences? Well, that's an interesting question. Thank you for asking. Um, I, think, I think it's important to recognize that the Bible does make reference to signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. In, in, in sort of, not necessarily in that sequence, but it talks about those three, three things. And I think it's important to 
to take note that yes, something happened, and it kind of ticks one of those three boxes. So, um, so there's in, in my book, there's n there's not an awful lot to make of it except let's let's take note that it happened. Um, it ticks one of one of three boxes. Maybe maybe the other boxes would follow. Or may, may, maybe they don't. Uh, uh, you know, a, a blood moon is not a is not a completely foreign thing, and it, you know. Even even the tetrad where four of them happen in a short space of time, that also happens periodically. Um, so my my honest opinion on that is is that it's something that happened and you do find a reference for it in in the Bible and it kind of ticks one out of three boxes. So so we'll we'll give it a thirty three and a half percent. in terms of how excited are we gonna get about this? Does but but the the sort of the the acid test question is okay. Great, this has happened. How does it how does it help me in what I've been tasked with by Jesus? How does it help me to to reach people more effectively with the gospel? Um, possibly not much, except that there's a lot of scope. I think now to 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 actually bring reassurance and 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 speak a little bit of calm to a lot of people who have you know tried to try to pull that the dam out from under the duck. Um, okay, so on to the second question. Do you think that Christians will soon be persecuted in the West? Now, that's also an excellent question. I'm glad you asked. And, and, and I, think it's a, I think it's an interesting one because, um, again, if we go to the Scripture, Jesus said that basically it's guaranteed you know, that, that believers will be persecuted. Um, but if I'm honest, the more the more I read, especially the Book of Acts and 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 um, the Gospels, and I, and I look at what happened to Jesus and what happened to the disciples, I think I think we may be surprised by by where the persecution is coming from and where it should be coming from, because I think what is what has happened, especially in in the modern churches, is we, we understand the message that Jesus said, "No, the world is going to hate you," and and so we, we kind of sit here with, with our faith and, and we feel that we should be, well, I, you know, I can't be completely silent. I need to speak up. I need to take a stand. I must be kind of vocal. Otherwise, I feel like I'm denying Jesus. So we, I think we've gone for the last, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how many years, but to, and, and made, a, made a point of being vocal about, about a lot of things. And, and and essentially, what it what it amounts to is, is is going around doing Bible bashing, telling people you're an abomination and your sin is going to catch up with you, and what you're doing is wrong. And you know, I've learned that even at the best of times, people don't appreciate unsolicited advice. You know, even when it's not coming at them sort of in in a in a in a in a, in a brash sort of offensive way. So if we go around Bible bashing people, telling them you know how how much what they're doing is wrong. Um, it's, it's, it's actually quite quite logical that they that they're gonna experience experience it negatively, and and a lot of the persecution that we see against against the church and and the, and sort of the most aggressive anti-Christian sentiments that we see is actually as a result of that. It's for example the the, the lesbian and gay community. They they honestly feel that the church hates them. And the message that they get from the church many times is that God hates them, and and I'm really challenged when I when I think about that. 
and, and I look at how Jesus and, and the apostles and the church in Acts, how they went about things, they weren't persecuted by the, by the, by the people who were, call it the, the, you know, the, the moral outcasts of the time. Jesus and his disciples would, would visit the houses of tax collectors and, and prostitutes and, and sinners, and they would love to be around them, and they would love to hear what Jesus had to say. So I'm, I'm guessing that Jesus wasn't busy telling them you know, everything that they were doing wrong. Um, and, and again, it's sort of, you have to, I, th- I think I see, a, I see a couple of alarm bells sort of ringing in, in, in some of your heads. It's, it's true. The Bible says that God commands all people to repent. But the way, the way for people to repent is actually for them to have an encounter with the goodness of God. And that's what Jesus did. That's what the apostles did throughout the book of Acts. And so that when the persecution came, the persecution came from the religious and the political leaders of the day because they were so effective. They reached so many people that it upset the power balances sort of at, at, those, at those levels, political and religious leaders. So, so that's where the persecution came from. And people would say, those who have turned the world upside down have come here as well. All of a sudden, we can't control the people because the gospel sets them free, and and that's that's where persecution came from for for the early church. So I, I really have a I have a sort of a, a heart and an expectation that that as a church that, that we would that we would begin to move there. That um, yes, there is a guarantee that um, that persecution and that, and that sort of kind of aggressive anti-Christian sentiment will be around. Uh, I feel that it would be a better reflection on the Church of Jesus Christ if, if, if that aggression was actually coming from, from you know, religious and political leaders because of the impact that we're having rather than you know, people actually just getting the message from us that God hates them and, and we hate them too. Um, that's, that's not accurately representing the heart of God. And, and it's sort of... I, I couldn't help to think about um, the story of... of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in, in Babylon. And so the, so the king decided to um, erect this massive gold statue. And he said, okay, whenever the music starts playing, everybody has to bow down to the statue. And uh, I, I, I don't know about you, but in, in my head, the music sort of sounds a bit like... And... And so he erected the statue, and the music played, and the people would all bow down. But there were these three Jews who refused. And, and they, didn't, they didn't stick it up into anybody's nose. They didn't go to the king necessarily and, and say to him, we refuse and we object and, and, and all these things. They, they, they just refused to bow down to this gold statue that they knew had no power to deliver them. And there's no point in bowing to something that has no power to, you know, to, to save you. And, and eventually, it got noticed, and the, and the people started ratting them out, and, and the message eventually got to the king, and he said, okay, I'm giving you one more chance. And so it, it's on that sort of basis that they, that they took their, let's call it a moral stance, and they said, no, even if you throw us in that fire, and even if God chooses to not deliver us, we won't bow to your statue because it's not God, and it has no power to save us. We know the true God. And so, and so we see this tremendous irrational anger from, from the king. 
and he says, make the furnace ten times as hot. And, and the poor soldiers who had to go throw them in, they got burnt. But, but, but we know the story. The three of them, they weren't burnt, and they were called out by King Nebuchadnezzar, obviously at a, at a distance, um, having seen his strong sh- soldiers getting destroyed. And, and, and so right there and then, Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, anybody who says anything bad about these people's God, they're they going to be in trouble because I've, I've learned something I've learned something today. And, and th- that sort of picture, it, it really spoke to me recently just about, about what, what we face today. If, if, you, if you've been following, for example, what happened at, at UCT with the, you know, the, the Christian lady who was on, on, the, on the student council, and, and, she, and she posted on Facebook um, about the legalization of gay marriage in, in America and, and just the, the backlash and the persecution that's, that she faced for that. I think, I think it, really, it, it really sort of correlates to that picture because we, where we stand today, they've erected this massive golden statue of, uh, let's call it political correctness for, for lack of a, of a, of a better description, and, and it's like every now and then they just switch the music on and they say, everybody bow. And, and, the, and the question is, not really, am I going to bow, am I not going to bow? The, the question is, in the, way that, in the way that I choose to not bow, what am I communicating? Am I, am I placing the focus and the accent on the goodness of God, or am I placing the focus and the accent on, the, on how bad these people are that are bowing? Um, because I, I think that, I think that's a that's an important important distinction. If you if you read, and if you know the things that I read about around that, the message that everybody seems to get is that um, is that Christians should be persecuted for hate speech because they hate gays. For you know for for example, and 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 I think it's it's important for us to learn to make that shift. That the question is not whether or not we should bow. It's it's in the way. That we choose to not bow to the statue, what are we communicating, and what is our primary focus? Because, like I, like I said previously, it's it's so it's so easy for us to think. Well, you know, God said that all all people must repent. So if I tell them their sin, and they don't repent, then I've done my bit, and and I can tick my box as far as my conscience is concerned. And now they hate me, but hey, Jesus said that the world would hate me, so everything makes sense. And 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 you sort of you can you can kind of convince yourself that you've that you've done your part. But I, I want to challenge us with you know with with the question: Is it really that simple? Is is, is have, have we really done our part? Should we? Is Jesus actually not holding us accountable to actually be effective rather than to just? tick a couple of boxes and say, well, at least we tried. So I'd like to thank you. That's all I've got time for. We should interview again sometime.